Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. live yes hello everyone how are you how how am i yes i'm i'm great the other person in this room i'm fine you know just uh living like larry as the kids say what i'm sorry i hated that i said that do you know um is larry no and how does he live no do you know what are we doing here spongebob it's oh, a SpongeBob. SpongeBob reference. You know where it's like living like Larry. No, no, that's okay. No. I, someone out there knows what nope. I'm talking about. Somebody got it. Yeah, but not me. Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry. You gotta be. I suck. You gotta be hipping with it with your SpongeBob quotes. No. Otherwise, no. Damn, <laughs> damn, that's harsh. I'm playing. Yeah. Um, but you did. Um, the exciting news this week for you is that. You got a vaccine. I did. Right. I got, you got the first round of it. Yeah, I got my first dose of the vaccine, which is super cool. Um, I'm very relieved. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, it was fine. You know, you just got a sore arm and you're knocked out for like a day, but it's it's nothing you can't handle. So Yeah, but like, that's not everyone's experience. Like, some people are just like, no big deal. Like, yeah. this is nothing. Yeah, I guess it just depends on the person. But, yeah. you know, for me, I was a little sluggish, but that's fine. Yeah, it's like weird. Like, is ever is anyone ever gonna be like sponsored by one of the by Pfizer by like Pfizer or Moderna? Moderna. <laughs> That'd be like funny. This, and today's episode is brought to you by. <laughs> hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Pfizer. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Go out there what and get your vaccine. What would that look like? Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. But that would be funny. I wouldn't put it past influencers yeah, I, I mean not that it's the influencer's fault but like can i be you know, a vaccine influencer Is that'd that be fun job? hey pfizer moderna you want to sponsor us we'll take it we'll take it baby <laughs> give us that money ridiculous i mean it's not so far-fetched now like <laughs> it's point. not out of the realm of possibility yeah oh god oh but um i i forgot last week um we were talking about susan walters i wanted to mention this before we jump into this week's episode um she received a civilian medal of heroism or heroism heroism i think heroism i think it's i think that's right but yeah someone uh when i posted the tiktok video about it someone was like oh that girl deserves a medal and i was like she got, she got one. one and yeah. i realized i forgot to say it in the episode but i mean she's just kick-ass yeah. so yeah no that was well deserved yeah for sure so just a cherry on top of the awesome person that she already is. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah. Um, and I realized that this week's episode is about Norway and we've done now like what, yeah, no, three episodes <laughs> about Norway? Um, yeah. I just, I, I really love Norway, yeah, apparently. Got great people. Yeah, they, they really do. And it's also a beautiful place. I've actually been there once and it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't there for very long, but... Um, it was like so beautiful and i would love to go back someday yeah. so we're like norway stands now oh 100 percent norway stands <laughs> no doubt yeah. um yeah but this week's episode is gonna be a little rough. rough um yeah i'm sure the people of norway if you're listening know what this story is and how terrible it is but uh, you know, I think it's important to talk about. Not every survivor story is going to be like, kick ass, Susan Walters. You know, it's like some of them are, are, are tough, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about them, you know? Right. Um, so 
this week's episode is about the um, Utoya Island massacre and the Oslo bombing. So let's jump in, shall we? So uh, Utoya Island was uh, a small island off of the um, Tirifjorden Lake in Vidkin, Norway. And I would like to uh, take a moment after I said that sentence to say that I apologize for any mispronunciations. I am just an American and I'm, <laughs> I am trying my Forgive best. Forgive us. <laughs> Forgive me, Norway. I am trying my best. But so um, this story takes place on July 22nd, 2011. And so the island is situated uh, five, about 500 meters or 1600 feet off of the shore and is about 38 kilometers or 24 miles from Oslo. Utoya is owned by the Workers' Youth League, which is a youth group associated with the Labor Party, and they hold an annual summer camp, which for many young people was the highlight of their summer. The Labor Party is a social uh, democratic political party, and they are officially committed to social democratic ideals. It's a sl- uh, the slogan for them since the 1930s has been, everyone shall take part. Yeah, so the island is largely forested with some open spaces. Um, a small pier is on the east side of the island and is used to ferry people to and from the island to the mainland. That's the only way you can get on and off the island is by a ferry. Um, and every summer, about 530 teenagers are gathered on this island, but, you know, 564 total people, including, you know, leaders and counselors and mm. all those things. So most of the campers range in age from 16 to 22, but some were as some were as young as 13. Um, it's a beautiful island, and all the kids loved it. All their friends were there. They had regular camp activities like you know soccer and volleyball, and they sit around campfires, and someone plays guitar, and you know it's it's like a summer camp. But the only thing that's different about this summer camp is that they also talked about politics. Um, It was a camp for kids who wanted to get into politics one day and shape their future. Um, And the prime minister would even come to speak to them, which is really cool. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, see the prime minister. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of, uh, you know, Labor Party youth, this was kind of like a a rite of passage almost. It was like Mm -hmm. a really um, sought after summer camp to go to. Oh, were they like selective with it? I don't know that they were necessarily, I honestly don't know if they were selective with it, but I, I just know that it was like, you know, the, kind of the place to be. Like mm-hmm. it, it had been around for a really long time and a lot of, um, you know, Labor Party activists had gone to this camp and it was just like, you know, the place to be for, you know, up and coming political people, you know? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily even like for the younger kids, you know, they're, parents were a part of the labor party they send them to this camp it's just like a summer camp you know they're with their friends they're hanging out like it's not only political talk it's like they also did fun stuff as well yeah so you know it's it's that kind of a place um so 21 year old adrian worked for camp administration and he said that everyone who was there wanted to shape their country for the better so the weather had not been great that day or week i suppose and and people had been considered or had been considering going home because they were sleeping in tents and sleeping in tents in bad weather just isn't the not most fun. fun. No, yeah, not fun. Not, not super great. So, but you know, everyone was still in good spirits. They were looking forward to having their first female prime minister of Norway come to see them later. And later that night they were going to have a disco. So everyone was happy and having a good time. So that afternoon, 
they had received news that at 3.26 p.m. there had been a massive explosion in Norway's capital of Oslo. When the kids found out about the explosion, most of them hadn't even considered that it was a bomb. There was a lot of chatter around camp, and one kid yelled out, war, but most of them believed that it was just a gas explosion. In their minds, it had to be an accident. Um, because, you know, things like this don't happen in Norway. It, it, it just doesn't. Right. So they like they couldn't even wrap, wrap their heads around the idea that it was deliberate. Or if it was, they were like, it has to be a terrorist attack, you know? Yeah. No, I feel like if that happened here, that would be everyone's first thought. Uh, what's a terrorist attack? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The capital blew up? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's a Norway is a much different place than yeah, for sure. than America. So this was not commonplace for them. Um, and so some kids were panicking and crying because they thought it was a terrorist. And people were just starting to get really nervous because the camp was not that far from where the explosion had happened. It was only about 24 miles away. Hmm. So when they got the news, the kids were told that they would have a meeting at 4.30 to discuss what was going on. So everyone gathered in the cafe building. That's when leaders went up on the stage and told the group that it was in fact a bomb. Um, it was a 900 kilogram fertilizer bomb that had gone off and the blast was centered uh, a short distance from a building complex that housed numerous government offices, including, including those of the Norwegian prime minister at the time, Jens Stoltenberg. Mm -hmm. um, the explosion killed eight people and over 200 people were uh, injured. Thankfully, Stoltenberg was unharmed, but, you know, still absolutely tragic. And yeah, it was, eight people still died. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, hundreds were injured, and it yeah. was... The, the entire street looked like a war zone. Like, it was it was brutal, and Norway was rocked. Like, the entire country was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, so this is kind of like a 9-11 for them. I mean, kind of, but it's, it's, it's different, obviously. I mean, it's obviously very different, but I mean, like in the magnitude in which people react to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, like like I said earlier, like Norway is a, a small and peaceful, beautiful country where the people are just nice, you know? Like, this sort of thing just doesn't happen there. Hmm. Yeah, so the kids at the camp were freaking out, and uh, there wasn't, like, yelling or screaming, but Sophie, who was one of the survivors, said you could see it in everyone's eyes. She said, I'd never seen eyes like that before. They were just darting all over the place. Like, everyone was very concerned. Panic. Yeah, absolute panic. So the kids were instructed to call home and to let their families know that they were safe. Um, they said that the island of Utoya was the safest place to be. And the only way to the island was by ferry, like I mentioned earlier. And the ferry captain radioed the camp to let them know that they had a policeman on board who was coming to check up on the campers and offer some protection. So what no one knew was that the policeman on board was actually Anders Breivik, the man who was responsible for the bombing in Oslo. He was dressed as a policeman, and he even had false police IDs. So Wow, so this was like very much premeditated. Oh, Yes. And we're going to get into how premeditated it was and like the, you know, reason and everything. It's he's evil walking earth. Like he is the worst. <laughs> he's a human piece of shit. So, so we're going to pause where we are in the story and talk a little bit about one of the worst people to walk the planet earth, Anders Breivik. So Breivik was born in Oslo on 
the 13th of February, 1979. His mother was a nurse and his father was a civil uh, economist who actually worked as a diplomat for the Norwegian embassy in London and later in Paris, which I just, I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Mm. His parents divorced when he was only a year old. And by the age of four, two reports were filed expressing concern about his mental health, concluding that he ought to be removed from parental care. Wait, what? So like, why? Yeah. So in another report by psychologists of from Norway's Center for Child and Youth Psychiatry, concerns were raised about how his mother treated him. She, quote, sexualized young Breivik and exposed him to things a four-year-old shouldn't be exposed to. She also hit him on occasion and frequently told him that she wished that he was dead. So just like fully shitty parents. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's not so great. No, definitely not. I mean, he was like a kind of at a four years old at four years old yeah it's like you don't even really know what's going on no for it's sure awful. not yeah absolutely so he definitely like was in the you know i guess the serial killers who had bad upbringings but also it's he's not great in the head himself so uh it's a bit i probably a combination of nature versus nurture you know yeah so at this point he was living with his mother full time unfortunately for him and he was never you know taken out of the home even though it was suggested he should be um which sucks but so a psychologist in one of the reports made note of his peculiar smile uh suggesting that it was not anchored in his emotions but rather a deliberate response to his environment so he's like you know they're from a very young age they're kind of recognizing that like the way he responds to things aren't rooted in emotions, but rather just he thought of the way he should respond and responded that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So this is like kind of laying the groundwork for uh, lack of emotion. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, obviously I can't diagnose him, but almost it sounds like like a sociopath kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, everyone's throwing around that word nowadays, but like that's literally still don't know what it means. Really, it's kind of what it sounds like to me, but. Um, so as a kid, he also kept pet rats and he liked to torture them, which is just, yeah. So we're going in a bad direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just like telltale sign that something is, something's up, you know? Right. So something's up. (laughs) Something is afoot. Um, so, so in his adolescence, Breivik was rebellious and in his, in his early teens, he became a prolific graffiti artist actually, which is like a very random thing, but mm-hmm. um, he was actually pretty good at it and he was caught by the police on several occasions um, and child welfare services were notified once and he was even fined on two occasions. So according to his mother at the age of 16, after he was caught spraying graffiti on walls in 1995 and fined, his father stopped contact with him immediately. Um, which kind of sucked for him at the time because he was trying to have a better relationship with his father. But uh, after that, contact was just over. Really? Um, yeah, which is like kind of like that's what you end contact over? Like, yeah, I feel like if your son is acting out like this, wouldn't you want to have more contact to like guide him in the right direction? I mean, that would be the correct response, I feel. That seems to make sense to me. Yeah, and and also like... I mean, he was 16 years old and he gets in, in trouble for vandalism. Like, yeah, I like, feel like that's pretty, pretty, that's not like pretty typical. Yeah. That's not like super out of the ordinary where, 
you know, it's like some crazy it's concern. Like, it's just like he's a you rebellious. You never vandalized anything as a 16-year-old? Right. I mean, I guess. Come on. I guess. I mean, I don't. I didn't. But like, I know a lot of people do. <laughs> you know, it's not that crazy. So anyway. Yeah. So he fell out with his father. Um, and he also at this time fell out of touch with his best friend. So he was just like a pretty isolated guy. Yeah. Um, he was kind of a loner and a quiet guy, but he, but he was also very into himself. Um, and since adolescence, Breivik had spent much time going to the gym, weight training, and actually using steroids. Um, he cared a lot about his own looks and about appearing big and strong. Hmm. He was just like a very like toxically masculine guy. He was very anti-feminism, just basically anti-anything good, uh, which <laughs> is just the great, the greatest kind of person, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Anti-good. And, yeah. Anti-good. That's what we love to hear. So Breivik had criticized his parents for supporting the policies of the Norwegian Labor Party and for his mother for being, in his opinion, a moderate feminist, God forbid. <laughs> you know? He's yeah. like... <laughs> Yeah, he's just well, like... I mean, <laughs> disregard all the abuse, you know? Like, that wasn't the problem. <laughs> no, it was the feminism. That was the problem. So, yeah. Um, but he was just very vain and cared a lot about his looks. Um, and, you know, he was trying to look jacked. And also, he had uh, cosmetic surgery on his chin and nose and forehead while he was in his early 20s um, and was pleased with the result, apparently. Um, and, and I have no problem with, with people, you know, wanting to alter their looks or getting plastic surgery. Like, that's not a problem. But uh, I just hate him. And also for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also for him. You look at it in a different lens. Yeah. But also for him, it was a lot more than that. Um, he was obsessed with, you know, the Aryan look. And Oh, okay. It so was, this is going in a white nationalist direction? Yeah, yeah. So he he was already blonde and blue eyed and you know, he's Norwegian, like Norwegian people are stunning, you know, but <laughs> they really are. And so, but you know, he, he dyed his hair more blonde and he did everything he could to become in his eyes, like the perfect person, you know, like the, the Aryan race type thing. Mm. So he described himself self self-proclaimed as a right wing Christian extremist so he oh, so he's christian too yeah <laughs> bud come on so we're really no. making a bad name for christianity <laughs> yeah for sure yeah and so he had a hatred for muslims and islam as well so yeah not great but are we surprised no i mean we're not surprised but also uh that's not cool that's no not good that ain't good uh all signs are pointing to not good um and he became a member of the progress party which was a really anti-immigration you know political they had anti-immigration stance and they wanted to drive muslims out of europe which was perfect for him they loved him and he loved them because that was his focus he became fixated with this hatred of anything multicultural but especially muslims he said he wanted to keep norway norwegian okay well <laughs> It's very funny to me that they called themselves the Progress Party. <laughs> right. That's like an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of, you know? So he he attempted to join the Norwegian army, but uh, they called him a stinky poo-poo baby. And 
deemed <laughs> you like that that was Is good. There like an official memo yes it was written down uh, ver- verbatim quote-unquote stinky poo-poo baby and was deemed unfit for service at the mandatory cons cons conscript assessment i don't know why i had so much trouble with that it's fine it's a- why was he unfit? Uh, I don't know. It just said he was like he was deemed unfit at the mandatory assessment that he had to do. So, well, uh, maybe because he's a psycho, possibly. You know, maybe. maybe. So at age twenty-one, uh, Bravik was in the customer service department for uh, of an unnamed company, working with people from all countries, quote, and being quote kind to everyone. Although mm-hmm. a close friend of his said that he usually had a big ego and would easily be irritated by those of Arab or South Asian origin. So I can't really see him being kind to everyone if he was... Like, this seems to not jive with the yeah, that, progress that party goals just here. just doesn't make sense. He can't be kind to everyone and also be irritated by someone for just being Arab or being of South Asian origin. Well... <laughs> like, you just... that's That doesn't... No. Something doesn't add up here. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. Uh, so at this time, he started writing his 1,500-page manifesto. Like 1,500? Yeah. Really? Like, like, I feel like you could fit it into 10. Whatever well, you're trying to say. Or you could just shove it up your ass and that not too. write anything. That too. Because you were just, like the like the uh, army said, a stinky poo-poo baby. I hate <laughs> you. Um, so, uh, yeah. So he started writing this manifesto. And he had a plan to, quote, save the Norwegian people. He wrote that he was a savior of Christi- or he was a savior of Christianity, and it talked about his right-wing anti-Muslim extremist views and how he was dedicated to stemming the tide of Muslim immigration into Europe. So he had this belief that it was quote impossible to have a multicultural Norway, and people from Muslim countries were destroying Norway, which is right. just <laughs> so like what false just what do you what do you mean like how do you i don't understand how anyone can think that somewhere being multicultural is a bad thing i don't know like i just i really can't wrap my head around it because like if you don't if you don't like their culture then don't practice it like it's you don't have to you don't have to do it no one's forcing you to do anything and if it doesn't affect you then why do you care you know It just, I I truly can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, me either. (laughs) You're just like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I just like, I I just like, I don't get it. I just, I don't. Um, So at the age of 23, he started his nine-year plan to finance the 2011 attacks. So Holy shit. We had nine years to catch on to this? Well, like, it was in his head for like he was i mean he was doing some i I get it but like that's a long time oh it's a long time it's a long ass time and i mean he was you know doing things and making moves to 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 do this attack so you know maybe there could have been something done about it but like there wasn't anything of substance to be like hey this person is yeah to plan something for that long and not like have anyone detected i mean Seems like quite the order. 
Yeah, but I mean, like we said earlier, he's very isolated. He doesn't really talk to anyone. He doesn't really have friends. True. He's just kind of like a loner guy with some extremist views. And even his even his uh, co-workers, like, they didn't, like, they knew he was kind of a, a weird guy and he was, you know, But they didn't right... think he would, like, murder yeah. multiple people. Yeah, and they knew he was, like, right wing and, you know, whatever, but he... He, they didn't know how extremely xenophobic he was, yeah, and like keep it in. Yeah, so I mean, people just didn't know. It's it's no one's fault. It's just like, it's yeah. just crazy that it was a nine year plan. Like for someone to be that full of hate for that long is just like terrifying, you know. Mm. So yeah, so he started his nine year plan to finance the 2011 attacks, and he started his own computer programming business, which actually ended up failing later but he's still left with about 2 million kroner um, to finance these attacks. And after the company went bankrupt, he moved back, he moved back into his mother's home to save money uh, and went into a state of withdrawal and isolation like even further. So he moved onto an isolated farm after this and had a farm company called Geofarms, which was supposedly to farm vegetables and root crops. But... Bravik's farmer neighbors knew that he was weird and had no business being there. They described him as looking like he was a city dweller who wore expensive shirts and who knew nothing about the rural ways. Bravik also covered up the windows to his house on this farm. So his neighbors Something were like... Something shady is going on. Yeah, so his neighbors were like, um, what are you... What? Hello. <laughs> like, are you good? But, like, could you imagine you're, like, on a kind of an isolated farm and you see your neighbor it has his windows boarded up, but, like, is there? It's uncomfy. That's uncomfy. That's a little uncomfy. It's I think I'd move. What you're hiding? Yeah. Personally, I think I'd move. Or maybe, like, alert the police. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, boarding and covering your windows isn't illegal. But... That, well, that's, yeah, that's the problem. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not looking uh, like it's going in a great direction again. Right. Yeah. yeah. All of these signs are like. So what? E-. I'm confused why he's on a farm now. Right. So people were confused why he was on a farm. And Really? <laughs> right. Because he had no business being there. Um, but he later admitted that he used the company as a cover to legally obtain large amounts of artificial fertilizer and other chemicals for manu- manufacturing explosives. So it was just a, just a cover-up, you know, a very elaborate cover-up. Yeah. Yeah. So Bravik also played a shit ton of video games at this time. Uh, sometimes he would play like 17 hours a day, like a lot of video That's games. A lot. Yeah. And he, he played World of Warcraft and claimed that he played Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 for training simu- uh, simulation. Okay, dude. Yeah, and like I know the argument of people who who are like, oh, those those games are are bad for young kids because they promote violence and blah blah blah. Like that's I don't I don't necessarily believe that. I and I also don't think that he got like actual. He was going to do it already. Like yeah, he has been going in this direction for quite some time. Yeah, like this is this isn't like because of the video games. It's like it's just a crazy person who's playing video games. You know. Yeah. Um, but also like for him to be like, oh, it was training simulation. Like, shut up. You did literally, it's not, what are you training your thumbs? Like that's not it. It's It's definitely not anything like what actual war is. Of course not. Yeah. Of course not. 
But, you know, he was like, oh, training simulator. Shut up. Shut up. But <laughs> anyway, in 2010, he, uh, he attempted to buy illegal weapons in Prague, but when that didn't work, he legally bought a semi-automatic 9mm Glock pistol and a semi-automatic rifle legally in Norway. Um, he claimed that he was using it for hunting purposes, but he wasn't because, you know, you can only, only hunters and like, you know, very specific people can own guns in Norway. So he got them legally and claimed he was using them for something else. Okay. Which sucks. Does anyone hunt with a pistol? Like a Glock is a pistol. Uh, yeah, it's a pistol. I don't know, but I mean, that's the only way he could get guns. So he, I guess that's just what he, what he used. What are you hunting with a Glock? Yeah. Right. I don't know. So right before he went through with these attacks, he emailed out his manifesto to several thousand people, and it outlined his entire plan, like, from start to finish, and he just emailed it out. Um, Did he do any revisions? 1,500 pages is, like, a lot. Yeah, it's, like, a lot of pages. Yeah, that sounds terrible. I would hate to read that. Yeah. You know, that sounds like a waste of, a, just an enormous waste of time. And also like, you just, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't have a lot of yeah, words to describe how much yeah. it may, like how terrible and icky it makes me feel. He's just like, yeah, mm. that like that noise. Yeah, you know? I get it. Yeah. So he hated the labor party, obviously, and later admitted that he chose Utoya for his second attack after the bombing because he knew that he would hurt the Labor Party the most by killing their children. Ooh. So when I say this That's man is dark. evil, he is absolutely evil. And like in the pictures of him, like he looks like a dead person. Like he doesn't look, you know, old or whatever. Like he has, you know, obviously a constructed face from surgery, but he, his eyes are dead. Like, they look black. Mm. So you can just tell that he's, like, a terrifying person. So, yeah. So that day, Anders had the car bomb in a white van that he rented, and he parked it in front of the building. He had already parked another car a short distance away and just drove away from the scene. Um, like I said earlier, Norway was a very peaceful country, and they tried their best to respond to the terrorist attack in Oslo, but nothing like this had ever happened, so it was just kind of chaos. Um, Oslo was put into a state of emergency and they evacuated the city, which was good. But the one thing they didn't do was seal it off first, which meant that Anders was able to just leave the city completely undetected. Um, they did, however, get one tip from a civilian saying that they saw a police officer leaving the city, which was obviously weird because every police officer, first responder, emergency person was there at the scene trying to help and not calmly fleeing the scene yeah or coming into the scene right yeah exactly coming into the scene not leaving it but he was leaving it they also had surveillance footage of the van and was able to trace the license plate number back to anders from when he rented the van so they they knew it was him but mm. they didn't they didn't stop him from leaving oslo like they didn't realize right so after leaving Oslo, Anders went straight to the ferry that would take him to Utoya Island because, you know, this entire thing was so elaborately planned. He knew exactly what to do. And also, he studied a bunch of terrorist attacks around the world and, you know, learned what to do and what not to do from these attacks. And he used them as like, you know, guides. So he knew exactly what he should do. 
and he did it exactly. Wow, he like studied it. Yes. Yeah, he studied terrorist attacks. Uh, that's grotesque. Yeah. Yeah. He's like I I <laughs> like I just don't know. There's no he, words, there's no words yeah. to describe what he is. He's just like ah. Yeah. So after leaving Oslo, Anders went straight to the ferry that would take him to Utoya Island. He told the ferry captain that he was sent there to protect the kids at the camp. The ferry captain didn't think it was weird that a policeman would be coming to this island, although he did find it weird that the cop had an iPod for some reason. Like, that was kind of something that he that stuck out to him. Um, and he, he had this iPod because on the way to this island, Anders blasted the song from Requiem for a Dream in his ears um, to hype himself up, which is... Oh just, my god, that's a chilling detail. Yeah, it is. And I mean, like, it, it's just like really eerie to think about all the songs that Could are you like ruined. Like, you're like riding the ferry with him. Like, what, the, what is up with this guy? Yeah. He's hyping himself up for this. Yeah, like he's going Insane. to the gym or he's, you know, about to go Ugh. perform on stage. No, he's hyping himself up to go kill children. Like, I, it's insane to think yeah. about. Yeah, and he actually outlined this exactly in his manifesto. He said that he was going to listen to this song while he was on his way to the attack. So he's everything is falling into place for him. So now we're back to where we were on the island, you know, in that part of the story. So the kids had the meeting talking about the bombing in the cafe. And at this point, they had all left the building and had gone back to doing what they were doing before. One of the survivors, Rebecca, recalled that she was playing cards with her friends uh, as word was getting around that there was actually a policeman who was coming to the island to, to take care of them and check that everyone was okay. So the kids were told th that the policeman was fully armed, but not to be scared because they were just prepared for anything right now. Because I, I think that policemen in Norway aren't even usually armed. Really? I'm, I'm, I think... I could be wrong, but I think that, like, unless there's something actually serious going on, like, normal policemen aren't just, like, walking around with guns. Hmm. So, but but they were like, oh, don't be scared because there was a terrorist attack, so obviously he's going to be armed, and that's just right. okay. Yeah, so as the ferry approached the island, Sophie had left her tent and went back into the cafe building. Her friend Layla told her not to go, but Sophie said that she would only be 10 minutes, and they hugged and she left. Um, and at 5.18 p.m., the ferry arrived. Breivik was armed with a semi-automatic rifle, a pistol, uh, and had over 1,000 1, rounds of ammunition and opened fire immediately. You good? No, I'm <laughs> in shock. Yeah. How many people were on the ferry? I think it was pretty much just the captain and him. You know, because no one was really? really going back and forth. It was just like to get there, he needed to take the ferry. So, wow. Yeah. Did he kill the captain first? No, he didn't. He just got off the island and like went to go hurt the labor party. You know, the survivors who were there that day recalled hearing, quote, very loud noises like fireworks. And at first, Sophie got mad because she thought someone was playing a terrible joke and by playing with what what she called like an air gun or like I said fireworks right. and and people thought that it was a joke and they were like this is like how could you possibly joke like this at a time like this but it wasn't it was not obviously which is just so terrible um 
and the ferry was a short walk down a road where the tent area was. So he was just walking down this road, shooting kids and making his way further into the camp. Adrian saw a lot of people running. Adrian is the one of the administrator people. He's like 21 years old. He saw a lot of people running uphill and someone then screamed run and he couldn't understand what was happening. Like a lot of people were just so in shock and they were like, I don't, I can't move because I, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, that was something that happened to him. But yeah, so one of these survivors, Rebecca, saw people running back toward the camp where she was sitting with her friends and she recalled seeing a man who was dressed like a policeman walking slowly down the road. There was a girl who had just left the bathroom who looked like she had no idea what was going on and started walking toward the man because he looked like a police officer. And he shot her three times and then she fell and he shot her two more times. Yeah. So Rebecca said he was just calmly shooting anyone he could. This was when the whole camp broke out into complete panic. There was a lot of wooded area on this island, so many of them ran into the woods. Rebecca recalled that one of the bullets hit the ground right near her legs as she was running, and she could feel the small rocks kicking up and smell the powder from the gunshots. And the island is only half a mile wide and three-quarter miles long, so it's very small. You know, like, the entire thing is, like, small. And, uh, but, you know, they all ran to places that had some natural hiding spots to get out of sight because, you know, wooded areas. Another one of the survivors, Magnus, called his dad and told him that there was someone on the island shooting people and he loves them and then hung up. So this is what's going on. Kids are just calling home and basically saying their goodbyes. But, you know, which, I mean, is good because the police were immediately notified Um, emergency services were immediately notified and, you know, they were doing everything they could to stop, but there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't any way for them to get to the island. It took them a really long time. So yeah, their response time is going to be really long because it's so isolated. You can only get it there on the ferry. Yeah. Yeah. And the ferry was on the island. Already there. So it has to go back. Right. And it couldn't really leave. So it was, uh, it was tough. Sophie, who was in the cafe building, began hearing the gunshots coming closer, and one of the leaders stood in front of the door and said to the crowd to get back, and that the gunshots were right outside, and that if they were to leave the building now, they would all be shot. Um, So everyone was laying on their stomachs with their hands over their heads because they had no idea what was going on. They didn't know if it was one shooter or if it was, you know, a, a group of terrorists. Like, they had no idea what the shooter looked like or how many there were or what was going on. They just heard gunshots. So as the shots start coming into the building, Sophie ran into the kitchen. She said that it was only a short distance away, but she felt like everything was moving in slow motion. Uh, In the kitchen, she saw a big fridge door and she squeezed herself inside the fridge and closed the door. Uh, She then began hearing the shots in the small room she was just in. Breivik then began searching the cafe for more victims. Sophie knew that if she stayed in the fridge, she would eventually he would eventually find her, so she opened the fridge and ran through the dining room and out the main entrance. He chased the people who were escaping from the cafe into the woods. And the entire time, Breivik was either, either sprinting at people, screaming that these kids were going to die, or he was completely calm and walking around and shooting people with like it was nothing. It was like 
just it was one or the other which is so terrifying to think about and honestly i don't know which one is more terrifying like yeah it they're it's just both so eerie yeah. both unnerving yeah for sure yeah um it's it was just an absolute nightmare so rebecca who is still in the woods said she and another girl went down by the water and decided it would be best to take off their clothes and get into the water but the thing about you know the water surrounding this island is it was extremely cold it was not like swimmable water and also the island wasn't exactly a swimmable distance from the mainland especially in freezing cold water so kids began to have to make the insanely difficult decision to get into the water and attempt to swim and possibly drown or stay on the island and possibly get shot so it was it was just like how do you it's an impossible thing to decide and also most of these kids are under the age of 18 so yeah. it's it's just it's so impossible to think about and to you know understand what to do adrian who had also run to the beach called the police he was in the water uh, up to about his knees and the police told him that they were on their way and to lay low until they arrived after hanging up adrian sees bravik coming closer to him he was between Adrian and the island, and he had nowhere to go. He was aiming at the people who were trying to swim from the island, including Rebecca and the other girl she was with. He started shooting into the water where they were, and Rebecca uh, said she saw the splashes from the bullets hitting the water around them. The girl with Rebecca started really freaking out, but Rebecca told her that it wasn't real and to just keep swimming. Um, and, you know, that really helped Rebecca to kind of just pretend that it wasn't real. Like she, she says later on that she was able to just not think and just let her instincts take over, which is, I think, a really incredible, like important thing that happened. But yeah, so they were swimming out into the freezing lake and it was getting really hard to breathe um, because of the cold. And Rebecca recalls seeing the road off the island with cars driving past and it was like no one even knew what was going on. Wow. So he then turned toward Adrian and aimed at him. Adrian said that that was the only time he saw any emotion in Breivik as he screamed at Adrian that he was going to die. Uh, Adrian is now looking down the barrel of the gun and is screaming at the man not to shoot. He said he was trying to look at the man's face, but his eyes were dead. Um, Adrian said this felt like it lasted forever, but it was probably only a few seconds. Um, then the man, for some reason, decided not to kill Adrian and he turned around and walked toward the woods again and dis disappeared out of view, which what? doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. Um, because his intention was 100% to kill every single person on that island. He fully intended to kill every person on that island. But so, he didn't. But he didn't. I mean, at least at that point, like he was going to make his rounds around this island like as many times as he possibly could to kill everyone. So, I mean, maybe he was like, I guess I'll just come back later. But he didn't kill him in that moment, which saved his life later on. So Breivik made his way onto the path that went through the woods and encircled the entire island. Um, and as this is happening, the ferry captain starts to slowly leave the island with a handful of survivors. Um, when Adrian saw this, he thought he was trapped because that was the only boat off of the island. Right. And the group of people Magnus was hiding with saw the man coming toward them and they decided to run from where they were hiding. 
Magnus went toward the water and started sliding down the rocky cliff and the, toward this, uh, towards the water. As he looked back up, he was looking into the barrel of the gun, but was able to jump down the cliffside and into the lake and escape the shooter. A bullet had gone straight past his head and hit some rocks. When he jumped into the water, he also saw a bullet hit the water about a foot away from where he was. But thankfully, he was able to swim far enough away from Breivik, and I, I guess he just got bored of trying to kill them, and he, he left. He got bored. Yeah. Twice during these attacks, Breivik called the emergency services in Norway. Like, I think it's 112. It's like not like 911 here, but I think there it's like right. that, whatever. Um, and he said he'd like to surrender, and then he hung up the phone. He knew the police wasn't able to get to the island, and he had no intention of surrendering at that point, but he just wanted to, like, cause as much chaos and, like, fear and panic as possible. Um, But like I said earlier, he fully intended to kill every person on on that island. So Sophie was hiding with a group of teenagers at the base of a cliff by the, what was called the pump house. I I don't know, I think it's like a boat house, I'm not sure. Um, And she saw that one of the boys with her was distraught and didn't have a phone to call his parents, so she gave him her phone, um, but told him to make it quick and to whisper. They could hear the gunman was getting closer, and uh, some water got into Sophie's phone, and it started playing music really loud. It started... Oh no, that is literally something out of a nightmare. Yeah, and she said... your phone gives up where you are. Yeah. Yeah, and she said that it was like blaring and also she couldn't get it to stop and she just had to throw her phone into the water like she just yeah. tossed it yep um See ya. yeah i mean of course um and she she did that to make it quiet but she knew that now their hiding spot had been given up yeah which is run so terrifying but at this point she and most of uh, she and most if not all of the kids she was with had not seen bravik and up until this point they didn't know that he was dressed as a policeman Um, So when they saw what looked like a policeman walking up, everyone was relieved. Some of them even started coming out of their hiding spots to go talk to him, which was another tactic he was using to kill as many people as possible. He knew that, you know, these kids would trust an authority figure. And so he would draw them out and kill as many of them as he could. Yeah, I mean, the one type of person they want to see right now is a police officer. Right. Yeah, so as soon as people came out of their hiding spots, he began shooting again. And Sophie described him as very calm. And he didn't shoot the people who were screaming. He just slowly went from left to right. She said he had a smile on his face. And it was not like he was laughing, but it was a soft smile, just like a smirk. Um, And she said that it looked like he was walking his dog. Like it was that that kind of calm. Yeah, I know we've described it this before, but it just doesn't get any... easier to think about yeah yeah it's terrifying um and so as the man looked at sophie uh she was swimming out into the water and she was the only one out there so she knew that he was pointing the gun at her um she began diving under the water and as he was uh, as he was trying to shoot at her uh this went on a few more times before she looked back and saw that he just wasn't standing there anymore he left to go stalk more people hiding in the woods But at this point, she had been in the water for so long, and it was so cold that she said that she felt like Jack from Titanic. She couldn't move her arms, and she was worried that she would drown. Magnus, Rebecca, and Sophie are all swimming in the freezing water, all at different points on the island, and at this point, for over an hour. This has been going on. 
Um, wow, they've been treading water for over an hour? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if all of them had been treading water for at least, like, you know, an hour, all of them, but I, I mean, Rebecca was of the first few people to get in the water, and this entire thing took a really long time. And a lot of kids were, like, just swimming out into the water to get away from him. And, you know, they're not going to go back unless yeah. they absolutely have to. And some of them did have to. But, you know, again, that's the impossible decision, you know, decision to make. So if they can tread water for an hour, they do, you know. Yeah. And Magnus sees a small boat coming toward the island and sees them handing out life jackets to people in the water and helping a few people out of the water. But right as uh, he started swimming over to the boat, it had to turn around and head back toward land uh, because the gunmen started shooting at the boat. What was happening was civilians that lived near the island heard about what was going on and risked their lives by using their own boats to go and help as many people away from the island as they could. Um, Rebecca, Magnus, and Sophie were all among those who were rescued by civilians. Um, so even though civilian boats were at some point getting shot at, they continued to do whatever they could with no concern for themselves, which is just so incredible to me to think yeah. that those people had no, no care for what happened to them. They just knew that they had to save these kids. And I just, I mean, I just think Norwegian people are incredible. So yeah. I think it just speaks to their character and like, you know, selflessness. So Adrian who was still on the beach, knew that the gunman was on his way back to his area again and was shooting people around him, so he decided to play dead. Things were quiet for a moment, so Adrian slightly opened his eyes and saw that the gunman was reloading his gun. Uh, as this was happening, a boy started running toward where Adrian was laying. Uh, the gunman shot the boy, and he fell on top of Adrian. Um, then everything went quiet again. And Adrian is, is praying that this man doesn't notice that he's not dead, but he's standing directly next to him. And Adrian said he could feel the heat from the barrel of the gun. What Adrian didn't know at the time was the gunman had been shooting the dead to make sure that they were actually dead. So as he was laying there, playing dead, he was shot. But he must not have moved at all, because when he opened his eyes, the gunman was gone. Wow. Yeah. I know I've said that like multiple times this episode, but I just don't know how else to react. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I'm just shocked. Yeah, no, it's shocking. It's it's just shocking. Um, so finally, an hour and thirty minutes after the shooting began, the police SWAT team were able to land on the island from you know a helicopter, and they surrounded him and gave him gave him the orders to drop his weapons, which he didn't do at first. So they were immediately given the order to shoot to kill. But before that was actually carried out, Anders Breivik surrendered. And at approximately 6.30 p.m., he was taken into custody by the elite Norwegian police unit. 69 people on the island were killed, and 33 were under the age of 18, some as young as 13. And another 33 were wounded. In total, he murdered 77 people that day, including those in Oslo. This was the deadliest attack on Norwegian soil since World War II. When he was asked if he had any remorse, he said no. He said that he would do it all over again if he had the chance. He called it the most spe spectacular attack since World War I, which is just, like, disgusting. Like, yeah, spectacular, that was the word I was gonna use. spectacular attack? Like, 
truly 100,000% fuck you. Like I, (laughs) I hate him and it makes me so sad. It's just, wow, you know? Uh, So after his arrest, he was held by armed police on the island and interrogated throughout the night before being moved to a holding cell in Oslo. He said the purpose of the attack was to save Norway and Western Europe from a Muslim takeover and that the Labour Party had to pay the price for letting down Norway and the Norwegian people. Breivik was kept in uh, Isla prison, Isla prison, I I don't know, uh, after the arrest. And there... He had at his disposal three prison cells, one of which he could rest, sleep, and watch DVDs or movies or television. The second was set up for him to use a PC without internet connection, and the third was with gym equipment. So Seems like he got a pretty sweet setup for killing... 77 people. 77 people? Yeah, so he's, he's chilling, which is just great. Uh, and... On November 29th, 2011, Breivik underwent some psychiatric evaluations and the psychiatrist diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia and said he suffered from grandiose delusions and found Breivik to be criminally insane, which would have meant that he couldn't be sentenced to a prison term. So on January 13th, 2012, Judge Wench Emily, or Elizabeth, sorry, wait, whoa, (laughs) I just completely said words that weren't there. On January 13th, 2012, Judge Wench Elizabeth Arntzen announced that the court was uh, wanted a second opinion from psychiatrists concerning Breivik's sanity. Psychiatri- uh, psychiatric experts later determined that Breivik was sane at the time of his crimes and was not psychotic or suffering from psychiatric condition and was not mentally challenged. So on April 16th, 2012, his trial began. During his trial, Breivik would do Nazi salutes and a closed closed fist salute to the families of the victims. He also asked to read part of his manifesto, but they were like, literally, go fuck yourself. Like, Yeah, no, no. we're not giving you that satisfaction. No, of course not. I mean, Jesus Christ. So throughout... How How much more gross or like just absolutely abhorrent can you get than saluting like nazi saluting to the children or to the victims families yeah i mean he's just like uh, he's narcissistic yeah i know like just everything is yeah let's not dwell on it no like yeah yeah he's just i mean there's no reason like that a, a normal sane person can come to you know yeah So throughout the trial, he would smirk and smile at the families of the victims and was just generally a steaming pile of shit. Like, just 100,000%. Yeah, we're not surprised. No. And on August 24th, 2012, he he was found guilty of the murders of 77 people, mass murder, terrorism, causing a fatal explosion, and was sentenced to the maximum sentence of 21 years in solitary confinement with a minimum of 10 years. But Norwegian law allows the sentence to be extended if he is still considered dangerous. I have a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, if that happened here, he would have like 70 life sentences. Yeah. 77 life sentences. And he'd be sentenced to death. Probably. uh, In Norway, there's no death penalty. So he couldn't be sentenced to death. I get it. That's fine. 21... 21 like the fact that they even have it seems like they they do this so that you relitigate 
like if they're a threat to society, mm-hmm. if there was ever something to make an exception. Mm-hmm. This is it. Yeah. This is it. Yeah, he's the worst. And uh, his prison cell looks like a dorm room. You know, he's in, really? he's in solitary confinement and his it looks like a dorm room like he's he's fine he's got a tv he's got a computer he's got books he's got shelves he's got a bathroom he's got you know everything he <laughs> <I> needs. <mean>, well obviously <laughs> I, you need a bathroom yeah. but i mean like think about think about the prisons in america do you think their cells are yeah. anything bigger than like you know what they ex- like exactly what they need and mm. also they don't have bathrooms in the, I guess they have toilets, but they don't have like doors, you know, yeah. or shelves or desks or books or TVs or any, any of these things yeah. like is and and he, Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to get into it, but he's like, he's hating it. He's obviously you don't want to be locked up, but he's like, you are, you're hurting my rights. I am sad about like, okay, well, uh, this is the point. <laughs> this right. is the point of prison yeah. you're taking away my rights yeah well you took yeah. away your rights when yes. you killed 77 people and not to mention you took away their rights too yeah. hmm. want to think about that one anders yeah fucking oh anyway yeah I, I see the hatred <laughs> yeah can you tell yeah. can you tell i'm heated i'm sweating can you see this the sweat <laughs> um so yeah so he had a computer with no internet access hmm. Uh, and he had books and TV and all the things that I already talked about. So in November of 2012, Breivik wrote a 27-page letter of complaint to the prison authorities about the security restrictions he was being held under, claiming that the prison director personally wanted to punish him. Hmm. It's like, I wonder I why. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. I don't know. I couldn't think of one thing why he would want to personally punish you, Anders. Ugh. Anyway, among his complaints were that his cell was not adequ- adequately heated and he, he has to wear three layers of clothing to stay warm. Guards interfere with his strictly planned daily schedule. His cell is poorly decorated and had no view. Poorly decorated. No, you don't even understand. This list goes on like a long time and it's, it's like ridiculous shit that no one in the U.S. would say. You know, yeah. like not, I'm, you know, this is obviously prisons is are not different. not a reflection of the Norwegian people. No, 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 of course period. not. Of Period, end of sentence. But like, obviously prisons are different in different places and there, our prison system is flawed to say the absolute least. But also I feel like for anyone to deserve the American prison system, it's Anders. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Let's listen to his goddamn stupid poo-poo baby ass complaints, okay? So his cell was poorly decorated. He hated that. Um, And he had no view. His reading lamp was inadequate. Guards supervise him while he's brushing his teeth and shaving and put indirect mental pressure on him to finish quickly by tapping their feet while waiting. And he is not, quote, having candy. Wait, what? He doesn't have candy doesn't have candy okay that's hard for him uh he's served cold coffee uh he is strip searched daily sometimes by female guards and in letters to foreign media outlets he told about his demands in 2013 to prison authorities including easier communication with the outside world and a playstation 3 to replace no no no. listen to this to replace the current playstation 2 Yep. yep. Oh my god. Because it offers more suitable games. 
Media reported in 2014 about demands that he would starve himself to death if refused access to a sofa and a bigger gym. Bigger gym. <laughs> Be my guest. And furthermore, he said that other inmates have access to adult games while I only have the right to play less interesting kid games. In September of 2015, Breivik again threatened a hunger strike because of the deteriorating prison conditions and delayed in order to, uh, delayed in order to sue the Norwegian government uh, over prison conditions. So I guess he delayed his, his uh, hunger strike. He was like, you know what? I'm going to hold off on that one because I'm going to sue your ass. Oh, are we, are we doing okay? Let's take a breath. <sighs> anyway. So, wait, this happened in 2011. And his minimum sentence is 10 years? Minimum, yeah. So, honestly, right now, he might be coming up for their version of parole? No, I, I don't, don't know. I don't think... I mean, like, yes. I hope to God not. But I don't think so. He's okay. like... I, I, I hope he rots forever. Yeah. And we're just going to project cool. that. We're going to put that into the universe, everybody. Let's, let's, let's say a nice <laughs> little prayer tonight. Whatever you pray to, that's cool. Let's say a prayer that Andres Breivik never fucking gets out. Yeah. And that he stubs his toe every day. And that he and hates... the coffee gets progressively colder. The coffee is... Ice cold, but not the way he wants it. But he doesn't not want, like ice not coffee. Not like iced coffee, because iced coffee is nice. Room temperature. No, room temp bullshit coffee and all the bad things. And I hope he gets shanked, but that's, you know, on top of that. Anyway, um, <laughs> Breivik had been enrolled since 2015 in the bachelor's degree program in political science at University of Oslo, because he can also be enrolled in that in prison. So that's super hard for him. And he passed two courses that year. Uh, but he does not have internet access. And in 2015, he claimed in a letter that harsh prison conditions had forced him to drop out of the courses. So... Yeah, I don't think that's true. No, yeah. He's just a prissy little bitch, is what he's yeah. saying. Um, and in 2016, he got really creative and filed a complaint based on the alleged violations of his human rights. He accused the Norwegian state of inhumane and degrading treatment and torture. Torture. Mm. Really? interesting now all these allegations were based on this quote solid proof here's his proof the use of plastic cups and paper plates that's torture okay uh having to eat microwaved meals god forbid cold coffee again because you can't get over it uh being denied the right to meet fellow nazi friends and marry one potentially because that's something that, okay. right, uh, being prevented from publishing two books, including The Breivik Diaries and The Nordic State. And he had begun, he had begun to love a reality TV show uh, called Paradise Hotel, which is, this article said, clear evidence of serious brain damage caused by isolation, <laughs> which is just funny. That's um, good. That's <laughs> good. Uh, so... Breivik sued the government over his solitary confinement and his general uh, and his general conditions of imprisonment, including a claim of an excessive use of handcuffs. Just blah blah blah. He claimed that solitary confinement violated his human rights. He actually won part of this lawsuit and was determined that his rights uh, had not really been violated, but they still had to ease up on his treatment. Mm. which is incredible to think about because yeah. ease up on his treatment. Oh, you had a PlayStation 2 instead of a PlayStation and 3. Coffee. And like, oh my God. Anyway, in June of, 2017, uh, of 2017, Breivik's lawyer confirmed that he legally changed his name to uh, Fjoltoff Hansen, 
which in Norwegian, fjat means idiot. Mm. So he named himself idiot. I don't know. Why? I don't know why. Okay. I I just, I I kind of, it's fitting for sure. I mean, I just kind of like that a little bit, you know? I just, he is an idiot. So it's fitting. And like he recognizes it, which is even better. Does he? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. He named himself it. It's just weird, you know? Uh, anyway, I just hope he rots there forever and he hates every second of it. You know, we already yeah. said that, but that's just, you know, I just hope that happens. Um, so construction of a national memorial for the events that occurred began a few months ago. When it's completed, it will feature 77 bronze columns, each three meters high. And each one symbolizes one life lost on July 22nd, 2011. Some residents near Utoya believe that the memorial will prolong the trauma they suffered on that day, but many understand that it means a lot to those who lost someone, the survivors, and their relatives. So it's being constructed. And residents who rescued survivors of the massacre from the water were awarded medals and met Norway's King, uh, king Harald. Yes, their king. Um, and... Survivors struggled with grief and guilt, and many of them said that they had no reason why they should have survived. They were just in the right place at the right time, or they followed their instincts and didn't think. But Sophie said something about this that made me feel slightly better. Um, She said, I don't use my energy to be mad at Breivik. He didn't win. He thought he could go out on the island and shoot us and scare us, but the complete opposite happened. We are twice as many in the organization now, and we're fighting even harder for the people we lost, and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Wow, that's an amazing outlook. Yeah. On just tragedy. Yep. And that is the story of the Oslo bombing and the Utoya Island massacre. Whew, you know? Yeah, that was a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean... Just like wholeheartedly fuck that guy. Yeah, but also incredible bravery, uh, <laughs> bravery. You bravery. Know what I mean? yes. you know what I mean. I know what you mean. From Incredib- uh, from the residents and the people who survived. And, Absolutely, and the people um, who died. The you captain know, like, who saved. Uh, do you know how many people? The he ferry saved? captain. Yeah, oh, the I'm ferry not, captain. I'm not sure. Um, taking people off the island. Yeah, I mean it was just a handful. And, and the SWAT team. Yeah, absolutely. Who I am so surprised did not light his ass up. Yeah, I mean, like I'm sure they wanted to. He probably was seconds away from dying. Oh, he was. 100%. Yeah. They, I'm sure they wanted to. Wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. You know? And I also wonder if, like, the guards at the prison fucked with him just because he, they knew he hated cold coffee and they're like, <laughs> just this one thing. Like, I really I'm hope. Just to do this one thing. I really hope. And I really hope that they continue to do it until the day he dies. Yeah. I'm Like, I also wonder how many things one could come up with like just little things to piss him off yeah because he seems like a really high maintenance guy very sensitive individual for how awful he is for how dead he is in the the eyes and the brain and the like what Mm. yeah it's weird yeah i wonder if they could like make his computer run just like a little bit slower yeah you just have to wait like a little bit longer for things to load Mm mm-hmm and I hope he never gets those adult games on the PlayStation. I hope he never yeah. gets a PlayStation 3, and I hope he never gets adult games. Yeah, I mean, come on. The PS3 versus PS2 thing is, like, literally just, like, a teenage kid whining. Yes. Yeah. A lot of his complaints are just, like, whining. You know? He's like, oh, you have to use plastic utensils and plates? I was like, what? Why? Because if we give you real ones, you might stab somebody. Right. Did we think of that? 
Did that cross our mind? <sighs> yeah. I wish that he wasn't in Norway, you know? I wish he was somewhere else in prison, like a really harsh one. Yeah. Because that's what he deserves. Truly. Ugh. Anyway. Anyway. Um, do you What's have, your good thing? Yeah. My good thing, on a lighter note, <laughs> to say the least, is Temptation Island. I yes. am... <laughs> it's a reality TV show where people go with their significant other to be split up for 30 days and are basically tempted by like a bunch of hot eligible singles who are actively trying to steal you away from your significant other and you know the reason you're there is because your relationship is rocky in the in the first place yeah so it's just the perfect combination of terrible and like but also like i don't watch a lot of reality tv shows like like that at least but this one is just special you know yeah like it's just special yeah it's it's hard not to watch it's so um, it's so addictive it's in Hawaii. Yeah, you have, right? to take, so you have to take them out on dates. Yeah, you have to take like so everyone's in a swimsuit. Yep, and they always seem to be feeding them booze. Oh, they're always drunk, always. Yeah. So and there's always a party every night. There's always yeah. like mini skirts and like stuff like you know bits are yeah. flying everywhere. Yeah. I don't know. They have to script some of it, though. I don't think so. I th- like out of all the reality TV shows, like this one seems the least scripted. Maybe they don't need to. You know, because, like, one of our friends knows one of the girls who's, like, on it. And obviously, like, they're real people doing, re- like, whatever. Like, even The Bachelor is real people. But, like, The Bachelor is scripted as hell. But, like, I don't think Temptation Island is very scripted. Yeah, I don't know. I also don't like that they're, sell- they're like, almost selling the show as, like, couples therapy. Or, yeah, like- it's fucked. Yeah. It's fucked. The guy who's, like, you know, they're... I don't know what you'd call him, the host or whatever. The moderator. Yeah, the moderator of their (laughs) relationships is like so he like tries to be like, you're just working through your things and whatever. Like, how does this make you feel? But like he's actively stirring the pot and making them feel like shit. So it's it's just it's it's hysterical. And if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend, obviously. (laughs) But anyway, that's my good thing. I'm happy it's back. What's yours? Yeah, so my good thing is that my work project is now complete. Love that. And I will be less stressed yes. in the coming weeks. Yes. Because we've delivered the project, it's done. We love delivering projects. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you've been working hard, so you deserve it. Yep, you and know? Uh, perhaps this will generate more episodes narrated by me. Sure, you'll Soon. get there. It's whatever. Soon it will come. Yeah. anyway if you'd like to follow us on instagram and keep track of all the pictures we post of each of the cases follow us at not today underscore podcast if you'd like to send us uh, a story uh at uh well hello if you'd like to send us a story send us one at no today podcast at gmail.com uh you could follow us on tiktok uh it's not today podcast follow us on twitter it's not today podcast but the t on the end of podcast is a three because That makes, that makes sense. sense going back to that one and uh you know just keep breathing yeah yeah 